honest-to-God prophet. I believe he's an honest-to-God prophet, not because he's a real prophet, but he's an honest-to-God prophet because he's honest with God. Habakkuk wonders the same things you do. Habakkuk just has the guts, or in Jewish terms, the chutzpah, to ask God about it, to take it to God, to say, God, what are you doing? Uh, you know, parents, I, 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 I should throw this in there as well. Um, if some of your standard answers to the child's favorite question, why, is because I said so, or because I'm the parent, well, that's, that, that's, that's necessary in some cases, and children then need to respond in faith. But if we don't take like God takes our questions, if we don't take their questions and use that as the teachable moment, then by the time they're 12, 13, 14, guess what? They're not asking in their questions anymore to you, and they're not answering yours. So questions are a good thing. Questions are a learning moment. That was completely aside. It's got nothing to do with Habakkuk. But God must feel that way because God doesn't just reject Habakkuk's questions out of hand. God takes those questions, and God uses Habakkuk's not understanding what are you doing, God? And he uses that to show himself in what I think in three short chapters are some of the most fantastic passages of scripture. Now, um, perhaps you're looking around the world today and you, you feel like Habakkuk. Perhaps you're looking at what's going on in Syria. I know our president is looking at Syria and saying, what am I supposed to do? He's looking at the world stage and he's looking at, well, if I, if I go against the Syrian government, then I'm helping al-Qaeda terrorists. And, and either way, I'm, I'm going to be stuck with, with how Congress responds. God, why have you put me in this mess? That's maybe what he's thinking. What answer is there in the Middle East? God, there's chaos in the world around us. God, there's chaos in our country. There's increasing injustice, lawlessness. People are doing what each one thinks is right in their own eyes. And not only doing evil, but, but pressing it upon others as well. Mocking faith in God. And, and believers perhaps rightly wonder, God, where are you? God, how long will you put up with this? What do you do when your expectations of God aren't met? You ever had that happen? Your expectations of God are not met. God, I thought you'd handle that differently. God, if I were you, I would have. Or you pray and you ask and it just doesn't happen. What do you do? Do you continue to stubbornly pray Asking God for answers. Or do you disengage? Does your, does your faith falter when God doesn't seem to respond the way that you had expected him to? Our, our purpose in Route 66 is that God has revealed himself in the Bible. God revealed himself when he created humanity in his own image. And though humanity turned their own way against him and conflict develops between Yet God calls out and God redeems and rescues a people for his name's sake through whom he will show himself to the rest of creation, to the rest of humanity. And yet those, those people, they do not worship him fully. They do not follow him perfectly. He even warns them in the book of Deuteronomy that they are going to turn away. They're going to follow other gods. And when they do, they're going to remember that he told them in advance. And, that, and it's going to cost them. They're going to lose God's blessing his presence and his prosperity, they're going to lose that because they have abandoned God. They've, they've walked away from him. They've gone other directions. And yet God still is going to call them back and restore them back to himself. He told them all of this in advance. And then 
as Bible history continues, and as we've gone through the historical books of the Old Testament, we see that happen. And now the prophets, somebody told me that the prophets are God's CEOs. The prophets, major and minor, the prophets are God's CEOs and that they are his covenant enforcement officers. His covenant enforcement officers, this is what I told you I would do. If you turned away from me, these were going to be the consequences. And the prophets come along and say, listen, if you don't return to the Lord, those are going to be the consequences. Or because you have stubbornly refused to follow the Lord, these are the consequences that the nation is going to endure. Covenant enforcement officers. I thought that was an interesting way to put it. It's not CEO. It's just a cool term for a prophet. Well... Habakkuk is, is, is uh, we followed history through the Old Testament to the point that the northern kingdom of Israel was already taken away into captivity, and there is just the kingdom of Judah left. Two of the 12 tribes left. What's going to happen with them? Well, how are they going to follow God or not? Uh, uh, Habakkuk is the last prophet in this series. We're going to, of course, be pausing next week in our anniversary. And following that, we're going we're gonna to start a different section of God's Word. We're going to look at the writings. We're going to look at, at the reality of life through Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and what you're really looking forward to, Song of Solomon. So we're going to deal with some realities of life in those five books in the fall, September and October. But Habakkuk is that prophet that wraps up the end of Old Testament history concerning uh, First and Second Kings, for instance, where the last thing that happens in the book of Second Kings is Judah is carried away into Babylonian captivity. How did that happen? God, what are you doing? That's the question that Habakkuk raises. God, what are you doing? He's an honest-to-God prophet. We see, we see the, in the book of Habakkuk five moves being made. Five moves. So let me, let me show you those five. I've got them on the stage uh, on the screen, and you've got them in your notes in front of you. I think I have them on the screen. There they are. First of all, the prophet says, God, do something. And God answers, well, I will do something. I am doing something. But God, when God shows what he's going to do, then the prophet says, but God, you can't do that. Now be careful what you ask for, right? God, you can't do that. Well, God will not only do that, God will do more than that. And when, when Habakkuk begins to understand the more that God is doing, the far reach, the big plan, the overall scheme, he realizes God's covenant and God's character, he can trust God. He says, Lord, I have heard you. Lord, I will trust you. Those are the five moves I want us to look at. Starting with God, do something. God, why aren't you doing anything? What's wrong with you, God? Two, I will trust you. How do you get from God, where are you, to God, I hear you? I will trust you. That's the flow of the book of Habakkuk in these, in these three chapters. Let me set the historical context for you as to where his questions come from. Habakkuk was in a difficult time. Some of, the, some of what's going on in history. Uh, you, you have a couple of revivals prior to Habakkuk. You have Hezekiah's revival. Things went good for several years. Uh, one of the righteous kings. His son, however, was probably the most wicked king in all of Judah's history. After Manasseh, he has another son, and then there's Josiah. And Josiah, a few years into his reign, he begins to seek the Lord. And he begins to follow the Lord. He restores the temple. The the, the book of God's law, his covenant, is recovered. And they begin to follow it. They celebrate the Passover like it's never been celebrated before. It's a wonderful time in Judah, or so it seems. But like often happens in a revival, 
The, even when, when, when revival came to Nineveh, it came upon a generation, but it didn't stick. It didn't, the roots didn't go any deeper than that. It didn't go to the next generation. And so, in fact, jo- Josiah, he's killed by the pharaoh uh, uh, from Egypt who on his way to, who's on his way to battle Babylon. And when Josiah is killed, he has two sons that take his place on the throne, one then the other, and neither one of them follow the Lord. They both do what's evil in the Lord's sight. And, and in response to Josiah's evil sons is the first Babylonian captivity where Daniel and his friends are taken away. And some of the wealth is taken away. And then Judah again revolts from Babylon's authority over them. And in 598, there is a second wave of Babylonian captivity where many are taken away. All of the treasure of the temple is taken away. And then finally, in 586 B.C., the, the uh, temple is going to be destroyed. It's going to be wiped out. Jerusalem is going to be flattened. That's the context. That's a, a bigger view of, of, of history concerning Judah. Now let me show you what's happening, where Habakkuk fits into that, these events. Those that I've kept in bold here, from Josiah down to that second revolt, those are the events that took place during Habakkuk's prophetic ministry. So look what's happening. They have experienced Josiah's revival. But Josiah... This faithful king has been killed. God didn't protect him. God, what are you doing? God, where are you? His sons turn out to be evil skunks. God, what are you doing? God, where are you? Why are you allowing this this injustice and lawlessness now to continue in your nation when there had been a righteous king for so many years? Why do you allow Babylon to come in and take captives away and more revolt and more lawlessness and then more captivity? being subject to a foreign nation. God, why are you allowing these things? These are the events that are in Habakkuk's mind. This is what's swirling around him, what has happened or is soon to happen when Habakkuk raises the question, God, where are you? I don't know the troubles that you're in. I don't know the uncertainties that you're facing. I don't know what it is that's causing you to wonder in your heart, God, where are you? But if you're not there now, you've been there or you will be there. Because we are broken people in a broken world. Trouble comes upon us. Job will tell us that man is made for trouble like the sparks fly upward. Well, there will be trouble. In this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation, but be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. And yet, things don't go as we want it. God, where are you? Turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1, if you're using one of the pew Bibles, in fact, the new pew Bibles, we've, we've just changed. We were running low. We didn't have enough for each of the pews, and so we reordered, and we ordered ESV, English Standard Version. So if you're, if you're wondering what Bible you should buy next, I will, from, from, from this day forward until the Lord comes next year, I'll be using the ESV. So if, that, if that's helpful to you, if you're using one of those pew Bibles, you want to turn to page 785. 785, the book of Habakkuk. First, let's look at that first question. God, do something. God, where are you? Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Things aren't as they should be. Things are not in line on God's wor- in God's world with God's character. 
It isn't supposed to be this way. Have you ever noticed that? Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be at work. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be in politics. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be even in your church experience. Where is God in the midst of all that? God, do something. Why does Habakkuk pray this way? Why does Habakkuk expect things? Why not just, well, that's just the way things are? Because a believer prays differently because a believer knows that God is different than this. A believer who knows God's character, a believer who believes that God is sovereign, that he is in control over this world, would then expect God to do something about it. When you see things are not as they're supposed to be, do you expect them to be any different? Do you expect that God should make them different? Does your awareness of God's character cause some conflict within you because we, things are not yet as they must be? It should. It should. We should expect things to be different, and they will be different. We don't always get the win according to our, our, our own timing. But a believer does pray differently. Are you and I de stubbornly devoted to pray when God doesn't seem inclined your way? Will I st still pray when things aren't going my way? Habakkuk says, I'm not going to let God off on this. It should be different. Everything I understand so far about God tells me things should be different. And so he is going to stubbornly expect that it's going to be different. How long, O oh Lord, will I cry for help and you will not hear? God says, oh, I hear you. I hear you. I am doing something, by the way. I'll do something about it. I'll do, I'll do something that will make your ears tingle. Look at verse 5. Look among the nations, see and wonder, be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe it even if you were told. In fact, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth. And he goes on to describe them. I won't read all the verses, but he says, I'm bringing the Babylonians. Oh, I've looked around. I've seen what's going on in Judah. I've seen what's going on. I've seen how people are behaving. I've seen how they're misbehaving. I've seen that they are not following me. And as I promised back in Deuteronomy, I will do something about it. We, we, we delayed that judgment, first with Hezekiah because of his faithfulness. And then later, we delayed that judgment again out of God's mercy. There was another window of opportunity in God's mercy during the, during the revival of Josiah. Because Josiah was again leading people back to following the Lord. And, but it didn't stick. They returned to their ways of following other idols and their injustice one to another, cheating and stealing and robbing and killing. And he says, so I'm bringing the Babylonians because that's how the Babylonians act. And I'm going to bring the sins of my people. I'm going to hold them to account by a people who were like them just worse. I'm doing something about it. And yet, did you notice that God's in charge here? God is in charge. He said, I am raising up the Chaldeans. It's not merely that I'm removing my protection. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. You want to know the, the point of the book of Daniel? Where Daniel is carried away into captivity in Babylon? You know the point of the book of Daniel in, in one sentence? The most high God rules in the kingdoms of men and gives them to whomever he wills. God is in charge. That's the point of the book of Daniel. 
And God's declaring it right up front, right here. I am raising up the Chaldeans. He's, he's going to even take the time in Daniel chapter 4 to teach that to King Nebuchadnezzar, arguably the most powerful king that the world has ever known. And yeah, God's going to show himself to Nebuchadnezzar. God, do something. Oh, I, I will do something, God says. God is sovereign over all the nations. That means in our experience, when things are not as we know they should be, they're not that way yet, God is still sovereign. Your God is in control. God, do something. Oh, I will do something. But God, but God, you can't do that. Now, here, here, here's, where, here's where Habakkuk's understanding of God has a, has, a, has a conflict, has a crisis moment. He understands God's covenant. If you follow me, this is going to be your experience. You're going to experience my blessing. If you do not follow me, you can experience my blessing. But he also knows God's character, God's holiness, God's justice, God's righteousness. And so he poses the question in verse 12. God, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. Okay, he understands, first of all, this is discipline, this is judgment, this is discipline, it is not destruction. But, verse 13, here's the core question. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Now, there's a bold prophet. There's an honest-to-God prophet. You see, he's asking God, God, wait a minute. You're not being true to your word. You're not being true to yourself. Why do you? Your eyes are purer than to look upon iniquity. You don't, you don't look on evil. You don't embrace evil. You will not allow it in your presence. And yet you say you are going to use those who are even more evil to punish others. You're going to punish those who have done evil Judah, by those who are even more wicked than they, Babylon. How can you do that? God, that doesn't add up. That doesn't make sense. Habakkuk is having a moment. This doesn't fit his categories, his understanding of God. God, what are you doing? And he dares to tell God so. Habakkuk dares to tell God, God, you can't do that. You can't do that. That doesn't fit my theology, God. You, God can't do that. It's kind of like when Peter tells, says to Jesus, when Jesus just explains again that the days are coming when, when uh, they're, they're, he's going to lay down his life, that they're going to take the Son of Man and they're going to crucify him. And on the third day, he's going to raise again. And Peter answers with that infamous reply, No, Lord. He says, Lord, No, and those two don't go together. How can he be Lord and yet I dare say no? God, you can't do that. Wait wait a minute, who's God here? Who's calling the shots? He says, God, you can't do that. They are more evil even than we. Yeah, we're bad. You've got to punish us, but you can't do it that way because they're even worse. Doesn't it tick you off when people you know are less Oh, I'm going to get in trouble here. Are less godly than you are doing better than you. Doesn't it tick you off? Don't you wonder why God doesn't seem to care when you're having trouble and people who are ignoring God, 
Or people, maybe, maybe other Christians you know, seem to be getting away with stuff that they ought not get away with. Doesn't that tick you off? Why is it like that? God, you can't do that. That's not fair. This runs up against Habakkuk's neat box of who God is and what God should do. And so he says in chapter 2, verse 1, the end of his second complaint, I love this. Oh, I'm just going to take my stand here at my watch post. I'm going to station myself on the tower, and I'm going to look out for what God will say to me and what I will answer, what I will answer concerning my complaint. Let's just see what God has to say about this. Well, I've got him here. I've made my point. There's No, he can't do that. Let's just see what God has to say about that. Hmm. Oh, boy. Now you're waiting for the lightning bolt, aren't you? And yet it doesn't come. That's surprising. It doesn't come. God is big. That's why I say Habakkuk's an honest-to-God prophet. You know, those things that are in your head, go ahead and say them to God. Don't say them to me. I, I, I really don't need that. But, but say them to God. He's big enough. He can take... I'm going to let you in on a secret. He already knows. He knows anyway. So go ahead express yourself to the God of the universe. You are his child, and he actually delights in hearing from you even when you're confused like Habakkuk is. All right, the Lord says, well, there you are on your watchtower. There you are waiting for my reply, so <clears throat> let me give it to you. Not only, Habakkuk, am I going to do that, I am doing more than that. That's the point. God is always doing more than we see. God is always doing more than we realize. That's why when that man hung on a cross between two other criminals and to the eyes of everybody judging out of their own experience and even they could open the Bible up to the Old Testament and they could say, look, there it says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That man is cursed by God. And they could... They could settle it out of their experience in life. They could settle it theologically. And yet God was doing so much more than that. Yes, he was cursed by God, but not because of himself. He was cursed by God for our sakes. He was cursed by God for our sin. God was doing what they saw, but God was doing much more than that. And that's the way it is in your situation as well. God is doing much more than we see. The Lord answered me. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. Think of a runner bringing good news from a battle. The runner can take off with this. This is a word worth spreading. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, God was the first person to say this. Wait for it. <laughs> you thought that was new, huh? God says, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. It will come. What will come? Well, let me tell you, God says. And he begins from verses 5 or, or, or 6 onward. Uh, from verse 6, he begins to describe five woes that will come upon the Babylonians. Yeah, God is going to use them to discipline his people, and then God is going to, ex to carry out his justice upon them as well. God will be just. God is going to prove himself sovereign not only under, over Israel. He is not just Israel's God. He is the creator of all the universe. He's the creator of all this world. And before him, as John read earlier in our service, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
in the meantime, we may seem as followers of the living and loving and dying Savior. As his followers, it may seem that we're getting the raw end of the deal. But we're not at the end yet. We're not at the end yet. Woe is coming. And so he lays out those judgments that are going to be against Babylon. He lays them out. God will be just over all the nations. God will, in fact, in in some of the terms that are used, let's look at that section. Look at verse 8. Because you have plundered many nations, talking to Babylon, because you have plundered many nations, in the remnant, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. See, their injustice is going to come back on their own head. God is just. Verse 13. The peoples labor merely for the fire. The nations weary themselves for nothing. Verse 17, the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. You, you, you poured out violence onto, onto Lebanon, he says, and that violence is going to come back on your own heads. The blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell upon them. Woe after woe after woe is pronounced upon Babylon. But in the midst of that, God says he's doing even more. Well, first of all, let me say this. Frederick Douglass of, um, of, um, of um, the... the the abolitionist movement, freedom, freedom, freeing of slaves movement in America. Frederick Douglass said this, No man can put a chain about the ankle of his fellow man without at last finding the other end fastened about his own neck. God will be just. There's no place to hide. Our sin will find us out. Babylon's sin will find her out as well. There will be no place to hide. The only place to hide is in the sun who dies in our place. But there's good news in chapter 2. There's good news in this, in God's reply to Habakkuk. He says there's good news. Write it down. Write it on tablets. Let the runners take it all across the land so that everybody hears the good news is, well, first of all, Babylon is not going to rule forever. Nebuchadnezzar thinks they are, but they are not. Their time is numbered. Their sins will come back upon their own heads. But there is... There's good news. First of all, in verse 4 of chapter 2. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, Babylon, but the righteous shall live by faith. Those who trust in God will live. That's the good news. In the midst of what you don't see, in the midst of when it's not the way it's supposed to be, those who trust in God will continue to live. Number two, look at... Let me, find, let me find the second one. Verse 14. Well, let's pick it up in verse 12 to catch that woe, the judgment upon Babylon. Woe to him who builds a town without, with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire. The nations weary themselves for nothing, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's the end of the story. It's, it doesn't end with Babylon. Babylon would come up like an overwhelming flood, like the sea. No, 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 that's not the end of it. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Look at verse 20. Verse 19. Speaking of Babylon's idolatry, which will be used by God to purge idolatry, the following of idols, out of his people, Judah. 
Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, Arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver. There's no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. God will have his way. Remember how the story ends. God is giving Habakkuk a little clearer picture of how it's going to end. It isn't going to end in Babylon. It isn't going to end in Babylon. Babylon will be brought down. The one who believes in God will live by faith. The earth is ultimately going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And the, the whole world will know that the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Those who believe in Christ today might be mocked and ridiculed. But the day is coming where every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Habakkuk's response is beautiful. Habakkuk's response is in chapter 3. Verse 2, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, Lord, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. First of all, Habakkuk says, Lord, I've heard. I hear you. I hear you. Lord, I get it. Have you been there? Have you been there where you didn't get it? You said, God, what in this world are you doing? And God says, well, this is what I'm doing. You, he opens up his word to you, and you see something that reminds you of the longer view, and that God is in control. And then you can reply to him, Lord, I have heard. Do you put yourself in the place where you will hear? Because the just will live by faith. We heard that. And yet faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Do you put yourself in the place where you will have faith because you put yourself in the place where you will hear? One of those places is right here where you will hear the word of God. You will hear the rest of the body singing the truth of God. And you will sing it to others. And we will rehearse to ourselves, to one another, the gospel again. So that you can say, in the midst of my discouragement, Lord, I've heard you. I remember what you have done. I can trust you. Are you putting yourself in the place of prayerfully hearing God? Do you give yourself time in the midst of your week to open God's word and prayerfully reflect over it? I'm not just talking about a Bible reading plan where I read so much a day, I read through so that in a certain amount of time I will read a certain amount of Bible. I am goal-oriented and I'm getting it done. You don't get any gold stars in heaven for that. I'm sorry. God's not checking off your chapters along with you. But are you prayerfully reflecting as you're reading so that you hear him? You see, Habakkuk sets down and Habakkuk prays. He opens up his heart to God. He says, God, this is what I don't get. And then he waits to hear from God in return. And God has done more than that for us. God has given us written down so we wouldn't miss it, not only what he replied to Habakkuk, but all of his prophets and his apostles and even Moses. And he's even written very carefully the end of the story. 
Do you put yourself in the place of hearing so that you can be like Habakkuk? Lord, I've heard the report of you. I've heard what you've done, and all I got to say, Lord, is would you do it again? Would you do it again? In the midst of the years, would you do it again? In our day, Lord, among these people, those things that you have done, drawing people miraculously to yourself, showing the hand of your power, rescuing those who are perishing, Lord, in our day among these people, those around us, those who do not know their way, Lord, would you do it again? I can confidently ask you that because you've done it before. Because that's who you are. That is completely in line with your covenant and with your character. God, do it again. When you get to the point where you're hearing from God in his word so that you can say, yes, God, that's who you are. So, Lord, would you do that? The God who says, I'm not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Then, God, my friend, would you do that? Would you bring them? Would you answer my prayer? Lord, would you show yourself, even if showing yourself is in the midst of my hurt and my struggle and my trouble. Lord, I do not pray concerning my trouble. I pray for you to show yourself. God, do it again. I've heard you. I've heard you. And so Habakkuk says, in your wrath, remember mercy. He's not trying to hide from the circumstances at this point. He's saying, God, show your mercy in the midst of it. In your wrath, remember mercy. And can I remind you that he has. In the cross, in his wrath, he remembered mercy. At this table, we celebrated that God, in his wrath, his judgment upon all humanity in the person of his son, he remembered mercy, that all who believe in him can be saved. The just will live by faith. That God, even in the midst of our trouble and our circumstances, the very things that the enemy would use to destroy us, God says, I am going to take those things. I'm going to turn them. I am going to use whatever the enemy might throw at you. I am going to cause that to work together for good. I am going to use that to perfect the person of Christ within you. I'm going to use that to conform and mold you all the more into the image of my dear son. That's what God is doing. In your wrath, remember mercy. Yeah, yeah. Get our eyes back on who our God is and what he has promised. Look how how Habakkuk closes here. Verse 16. The chapter started out, O Lord, I have heard. That theme picks up again in verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. He understands the trouble that's coming. He understands the Babylonians are coming. He understands it isn't going to tie up neatly and nicely, that there is trouble ahead, even as God is in charge. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. I'll wait for what God does next. I'll wait for what God has promised. And though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield nor food, no food, the flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy not in what God does. I will take my joy in the God of my salvation. 
God, the Lord, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Habakkuk's conclusion, Lord, now I've heard you. I get it. I get a little more clear than I did before. I can trust you no matter the circumstances. What, no matter what's beyond what I understand, I can trust you. That's what he gets. We want the Lord's kingdom to come. That's what Habakkuk's prayer is. And even though there's trouble on the way before we get there, he says, Lord, may your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that is the same prayer our Lord taught us to pray. I will trust you. I will ask you, Lord, not for my circumstances to be different. I will ask you, Lord, to show me yourself. I will ask you, Lord, to let me hear your truth so that in the midst of trouble I can trust you. Heavenly Father, our prayer this morning then would be the same. Our prayer would be like that of Habakkuk. For what we don't understand, Lord, that we would trust you. Lord, may we honor you the most in that where it doesn't seem to make any sense or be of any immediate benefit to you. But our faith is simply the substance of of that which we hope for. The confident assurance within us of things that we do not yet see. We trust in the living God. We trust in a coming Savior. Father, we trust in him for the people around us. And we represent the Savior who is risen from the dead, but whom we have not personally seen. We represent him to the people that we do see. And Lord, would you do it again? Would you do it still? Would you revive us that in this day, in the midst of wrath, you would remember mercy? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As the ushers come forward this morning to... uh